The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you for joining us today, Max. Uh, Max teaches at the Insight Meditation Center and the Insight Retreat Center. He's trained as a Dharma teacher by Gil Sfranzdo and retrieved received Dharma entrustment as a Zen teacher in the lineage of Suzuki Roshi from Sojun Mel Weitzman and Gil Fransdo. Max has practiced Buddhist meditation for more than 25 years, training in America, Japan, Thailand, and Burma. He completed the Spirit Rock IMS Dharma teacher training program and trained in Buddhist chaplaincy with the Sati Center. With Gil, he taught the first week-long retreat at the Insight Retreat Center in November 2012. Max holds an AB degree from Stanford and worked at Google for five years. Welcome, Max. Thank you very much. Very nice to be with you. Um, you can hear me okay? Yeah? Okay. Yep, sounds good. Okay, okay, good. Well... Um, yeah, nice to nice to see some of you on Zoom, and I trust uh, it's okay up on YouTube. Um, I, um, one of the images I was remembering uh, this morning when I was thinking about what what I might want to share was a a time that I traveled with. Um, my Zen teacher, uh, Mel Weitzman, to Japan. We were actually in Japan a number of times together. But this one trip, it wasn't so much business. It was more pleasure. And we, um, we did some, some traveling around. Um, and we went to this island called Naoshima. Some of you might, might know about this or have heard of it. It's an island... I hope I'm getting it right. I think it's off the coast of Shikoku, which is one of the main larger islands in Japan. And now Shima, it's kind of a rural place. And in Japan, there's this phenomena of um, the, the rural spots have sort of emptied out because young people go to Tokyo and Osaka, the big cities, because that's where the good jobs are. And you have these pockets in the of of just sort of rural spots where there's not a lot of young people, and um, there's actually a lot of empty houses and empty buildings, and so the different local municipalities have uh, you know have different strategies for what to do, but in Naoshima, they decided to turn the sort of sleepy little village island into one big art installation so there was there was funding and there i think a couple of really beautiful museums were built and then what they did is um took some of the old beautiful traditional japanese homes that have the you know tatami floor and the the sliding screens and and they offered them to different artists, Japanese artists, international artists, and they put, um, you know, different pieces and ex exhibitions in these homes. 
And so if you go to Naoshima as a visitor, you, you're given a map and you can wander around the kind of the old streets. And then, you know, if there's some dot in front of, you, know, you don't want to go into someone's home, private home, but if there's some dot there, you know, it's a sign that this is part of the, this is part of the art and you can go in. So we did that. We walked around and it was really fun, really creative to see what different artists had done with this sort of blank canvas of having, having a house to do something. And so the piece I wanted to talk about or share was one by the American artist, James Turrell. You might've heard of James Turrell. He's a, he's an artist who works with light a lot and you know, other things. I think he's from Texas. I'm not sure. Um, but this was a piece where we had to take off our shoes and then you can do that in each of these places because you don't wear shoes inside, right? In Japan, we take off our shoes and we walked into this pitch black room. It was totally black, totally dark. And you kind of walk in and what? You know, and and you kind of just stand there. You don't know if you go forward, go back. Is there a place to sit? Maybe eventually we sat on the floor, but you don't want to get kind of stepped on. And maybe they, I don't know, maybe there was someone who was guiding us a little bit to stand over here, stand over there. But we walked into this empty, totally dark space no light and your mind is going okay what is this what are we doing what are, you know and kind of thinking and there's nothing you can really do but little by little as we wait our eyes begin to adjust right? you know and i what it, what it is biologically i guess our pupils start to grow maybe, and to receive more light, whatever little light is there. But it's this, this kind of trust. You're just there. We're just waiting. We're just trusting. Little by little. I mean, really, it was like, you know, five or ten minutes until something comes into view. And I was thinking about that. I think that for me, this is a very nice image uh, for our practice. You may have lots of ideas about what, what meditation is, what I'm supposed to do, what I want to get from it, what I, what I don't want, what I want to happen. Um, but actually, I think our practice is more like finding our way in the dark. And when you're in the dark, it's like we have to be, we go slow. We have to go slowly in the dark. You don't want to bump into something. You don't want to trip. You don't want to, we are slowly and carefully. And just like in this art installation, you know, there's nothing we can do to speed up that process. 
But what we're responsible for is just to stay there, to be still. And actually, that's, that's quite a big thing. You know, it takes a lot of courage to stay with something where we don't know where it's leading. We don't know where it's going. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? But just to be still, to be patient, um, to be willing to receive. You know, so, so this idea of finding our way in the dark, um, for me, it's sort of the opposite of control. Right? Of mastery. You're going to control this breath. You're going to control these feelings. I'm not here to feel bad. <laughs> um, very, very human impulse. And I think in, in meditation, we're always sort of working with this very human wish to, to control. And what is it to soften, soften the hand of control and to, to receive, to be willing to um, yeah, let, let this experience happen to us. So it's like for me, being in that dark room, it's like the ultimate humility the ultimate equalizer. Everybody's equal in there. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you look like. Everybody's one. Everybody's equal. You know, the other place in Japan where there's this kind of radical equality is the, the, the communal baths, hot springs, right? You know, because of... In Japan, it's, it's, this is a little bit of a tangent, but in Japan, what I realized is that how, how you're seen in society is very much marked by what you wear. I mean, it's true everywhere, but Japan has these fantastic uniforms and, you know, and, and in business people wear a certain kind of suit and, you know, everyone wears something special to kind of mark who you are. But then when you take a bath and you go to the onsen, you can't wear anything. You have to be completely naked just for hygienic reasons. And you, you, so you go in, you shower and clean yourself, and then you can get in the communal pools, plunges. And it's like you have executives with, you know, you know, it's just everyone is, is there together, old and young, and, and it's really nice. It's really wonderful. And so, but that's sort of, you know, in, in Buddhism, the image of the dark and the darkness is a metaphor for oneness. Everything is one in the dark. This great equalizer. You know, and the kind of humility and trust and courage it takes to 
Yeah, to go into the dark and to find our way in the dark. And so every time we sit down to meditate, we're doing that. We don't know what the next moment is going to bring. But we, we make this intention, this commitment to be here, present, for what this moment brings. And that's it. That's all we have to do. We don't need to control anything. We don't need to figure anything out. And I think in with this kind of intention, beautiful intimacy can arise. The intimacy with ourselves, this connectedness, this closeness, that we've let go of something. We've let go of that constant, I've got to do this and got to get that done and got to improve, you know, self-improvement. Oh my God. It's one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> but Dharma practice is not about self-improvement. This is a really, really important point. We're here to experience the truth of who and what we already are. Not to try to get somewhere to become what we think we should be or want to be. Because according to the Dharma, we're already there. You know? Isn't that wonderful? Wherever we think we need to be, we're already there. So really, as one of my teachers says, all Dharma practice is post-enlightenment practice. And what does it mean to practice with the understanding that who and what we already are is enough? Who and what we already are is the most perfect expression of the Dharma of this reality. How can we, how can water get any more wet? Right? Water is wet. That's the nature of water. Better water, worse water. How can you become any more you? Right? So this kind of intimacy, this kind of trust, and I think one of the um, something that we can let go of or that gets let go of in this intimate presence is that very human tendency to compare, right? To evaluate, judge. Oh, this. You know, this meditation was okay, but, you know, I, I've had much better meditations. This, this teacher is okay, but, you know, this, you know, right? There's a kind of, uh, you know, it's important, very important to have that capacity to evaluate, to compare. But it's maybe just as important to be, to know the limits of it and to be able to put it down. 
there's almost a kind of violence in the comparing mind, constantly comparing. And what it does is it blocks us from fully entering into this experience in this moment and fully appreciating what we already have because we're thinking about what we don't have, right? I remember early in my practice, uh, Bill gave a, I don't, I don't remember if it was a talk or it was something he said to me, but he said something like, you have a choice between the ideal and the actual. You choose. And I remember thinking, obviously, choose the ideal, right? It's ideal. No. You choose the actual. Because there is no such thing as the ideal. The ideal doesn't exist, right? All there is is the actual. And this practice is about again and again, we return to the actual. We return to what's happening now. But we love the ideal, right? The ideal is the ideal. That's the best. Um, This is like the fundamental kind of comparing mind. How things are versus how we want them to be. And practice is always about feeling into this split, this dichotomy. A lot of kindness, a lot of compassion, a lot of patience. And to see all the ways that we don't want to be with how things are. <laughs> because we prefer the ideal, right? We pre- Another way to say it is the perfect versus the imperfect. What is, what is perfect? What does it mean for something to be perfect? And usually, I think our usual way of thinking to be perfect is it kind of measures up to something we have in our mind. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect croissant. <laughs> Maybe there is such a perfect croissant somewhere, the platonic ideal of the croissant. Just flaky. No, it's soft. It's not spongy. Um, the, the Zen teacher Suzuki Roshi says this about perfect and imperfect, which I love. He says, um, "Nothing we see or hear is perfect. Right there, in the imperfection." perfect reality. Nothing we see or hear is perfect. Right there in the imperfection is perfect reality. So what is it to see in such a way, feel in such a way and um, 
we might think of as imperfect, as lacking in some way, as not coming up to what we want, our standards. There's a perfect reality in this. This is as close as it gets. <laughs> you know, it's like um, in a in Dharma way of understanding, perfection, in a sense, is sort of like that darkness, that oneness. It's like the perfect peace before we were born. There's it's perfectly peaceful, but it's probably a little too peaceful for us right now. We don't want it to be that peaceful yet, you know, because life is out of the world of oneness and there's something, right? There's some particular existence. There's some particular feeling. And that's like coming out of this world of perfection. And so I, Mel, my Zen teacher, used to say that everything we experience is out of balance. Out of balance, and then it's coming back into balance. Out of balance, and back into balance. So perception depends on difference, right? Perceiving difference. Otherwise, we're just in the world of oneness. We're just in the world of um, total darkness. Um, so this is in this is Suzuki Roshi again in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which is great if you haven't uh, looked at that. We should find perfect existence through imperfect existence. We should find perfection in imperfection. For us, complete perfection is not different from imperfection. The eternal exists because of non-eternal existence. Non-eternal means this world of change, right? This world of transience, impermanence. The eternal exists because of non-eternal existence. This point, one time I was in Japan and had a meeting with one of the great old Buddha masters, and we had to bring a question. And I said to him, Everything changes. What's the one thing that doesn't change? And he started laughing. And he said, so that's this the eternal exists because of non-eternal existence in Buddhism it is a heretical view to expect something outside this world we should find the truth in this world through our difficulties so this means that um What, whatever it is we're looking for, whatever it is we think we need, we want to find the goal, the ultimate, the end of our suffering, whatever it is, true love. It's, it only can be found right here. 
this moment, in this ordinary life, ordinary experience that um, the answer is here. The answer is in how things already are. We can spend a long time in practice spinning our wheels, chasing, 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 right? And that's the comparing mind. They've got it. I don't. One day I'll get it. Or what's worse than that? I've got it. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) So this is, you know, I think the antidote to that is this intimacy and this intimate presence, appreciating the absolute value of something, comparing it to something else. One of the great doorways into this intimacy and this appreciation that I found is babies. <laughs> you spend time the baby. I've got almost five month old now. Third one. And I you know that presence kind of purity that a baby has and they draw you in. You're not thinking, oh this baby's okay, but if they were, you know, I wish she rolled over a little like that baby or I wish she had a little more hair or less hair, you know. It's like, no, you're just totally in the thrall of this being, you know, who's so present and so open. Um, so what is it? What is it for you that is a doorway into this Essence. This way of being that's so simple, actually. You know, we often say in Dharma practice, it pays to be simple, to be a little, you know, not too smart. If you're too smart, you have a problem. You're always trying to figure things out. But, um, Nothing we see or hear is perfect. Right there in the imperfection is perfect reality. Maybe I would share this quote from, uh, according to Facebook, it's from Ram Das, but Who knows? But it's a good quote anyway. He says, uh, when you go out into the woods and you look at the trees, you see all these different trees. And some of them are bent, and some of them are straight, and some of them are evergreens, and some of them are whatever. You look at the tree and you allow it. You see why it is the way it is. 
you sort of understand that it didn't get enough light, and so it turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. <laughs> and you're constantly saying, you were to this, or I'm to this. That judgment mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. One of the great gifts of this practice, again and again, returning to how things are with kindness, with care, with, with love, is that this is such a gift to ourselves and such a gift to others to really savor another person for how they are rather than how we think they should be, want them to be. This uh, invitation to practice intimately, stay close, stay close to ourselves, stay close to others. Thank you very much. Um, know if you guys want to take a question or two, or is it uh, up to up to you? What do you think, Mark? And, 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 uh, yeah, that that sounds great. Um, if you've got some time, Max, we can uh, um, yeah. ask folks in uh, Zoom, or if you want to post a question in chat on YouTube, um, you can either raise your hand in Zoom or post a question in chat on Zoom as well. So we'll give the YouTube stream time to catch up. But, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You take a few, you know, if you, if you need to go, please do. Thank you for being here and uh, a blessing. And if you want to stay for a few minutes, maybe just take a couple of, couple of questions. Um, I'm just going to peek into YouTube and Max, we've got uh, Katya has her hand up. Oh, uh, yeah. So, Katya, go ahead. You can go ahead and uh, bring yourself off mute and uh, ask your question. Or... Um, yes. Hi, Max. So nice to see you. Um, I w- I, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't help but ask this question. What was in the dark room? You know, um... <laughs> remember that we waited and waited and then um, at some point this beautiful um, you know I think I can't remember exactly what it was but something totally switched on in terms of light and color and but it was like Thank you for for asking because I wanted to share that at the at the end of the talk because um, I don't remember exactly you know what it looked like but I remember there was a way that like my heart just you know that all of a sudden what 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 
you know, some, some beautiful image came into, into view. And it was quite shocking that you couldn't see it. We couldn't see it. And couldn't see it and couldn't see it. And then little by little it started and then quite quickly all at once. You know? Hmm. Wow. It was very nice and very cool. And I think it's 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 a great metaphor for for our practice of we we see what we're capable of seeing. You know, and Hmm. um and yeah, the people I just remember the kind of like when when it when it happened for people, there was a <gasps> I I love his work, the artist's work. Yeah, yeah, he has some really stunning um installations and there's a few mm-hmm. of his other stuff in Japan and I'm sure yeah, many other places. But I actually had a quick question, Max. Oh, actually, Cindy, go ahead. You can go ahead and come off mute. <clears throat> well, first of all, Max, it's wonderful to have you here this week um, to be with us with the Sangha. And um, thanks so much. Three children. Whoa. I, I, you know, so I was just thinking, you know, when I was a, a young parent, I didn't have a practice. And I just was wondering how you integrate the practice into your parenting with the three children. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. And, um, you know, in a way, you know, I, I don't mean to be flippant to say this, but that, you know, they are my practice. You know, it's not like um, there's some other practice and then they kind of fit them in or um, I really, I really have come to appreciate the way that, um, you know, really whatever, whatever it is that's going on in our life, that's our practice. That's the contour, the shape, the substance of our practice. And as you know, children are amazing teachers and amazing sources of joy and suffering and everything in between. And um, so it's quite, quite a, for for me, the time I spent in the monastery feels like a cakewalk, you know, (laughs) it was too easy. Uh, This is like, you know, it's, it's quite a humbling um, beautiful thing to um, yeah to 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 care for for others in this way you know care for children in this way, but also to be really challenged you know that the get to really the edge and sometimes over the edge of our capacities and then what then what do we do oh i didn't i didn't think I was like that <laughs> uh. Well, congratulations to you, and that's just wonderful. I'm so happy to hear you had a you have a little five month old as well. Thank you very much. Yeah. Max, uh, 
there was a question on YouTube. When you do your breathing meditation, what part of your body do you concentrate on more often? Yeah, uh, for for me, I tend to concentrate mostly and bring bring the awareness mostly to the belly area. And every you know, it's all good and it's all wonderful, but I find that there is something special about that part of the body. Feel the rise and fall of the belly. It's like the belly is the center of our being. And um, and so for me, there's something that's very integrated to be with the breath at the belly. And for some years, I worked with the breath at the nostrils. And that's nice. It's, it's a lovely practice. But I found that it got a little bit top-heavy. You know, it was kind of too much up there. And we're already up here a lot, you know. And so something about bring it down, the center of gravity, down to the belly. And the belly is also a very good place for feedback. I notice if there's some contraction in the belly, you know, that's good to feel. That's good to notice. What is it to soften that? What is it? Soften, soften the belly. And so I, yeah, that that's become sort of my uh, home base. And it has a, it has a nice, um, you know, in our Vipassana practice, it's a very rich area because there's a lot going on at the belly. You know, the sensations of rising and falling. You can really, you can really get close to those sensations. And then in other Eastern practices, and especially in East Asian, Chinese, China, Japan, that area is called the in Japanese, the Tanden, right? You know, the Dantian, and it's considered to be place, a very particular place of energy in the body. And so there's a, there can be this nice cultivation of energy there. So yeah, for those reasons, I like, I like working with the belly, but it's all good. It's all good. And it's really where, you know, just where, where intuitively for you, where, where, where is, where are those sensations of, of breathing most clear? Where, where does it feel good to hang out, to land and hang out there? Oh, thanks, Max. Um, I, I actually had a, a question about, you know, you talked about self-improvement and you know, comparing, I guess. Um, so I would assume there, there, is a, there is room to think about self-improvement in some sense. Um, like, be careful, Kevin. No, <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. I think that um, you know the reason I emphasize letting go of comparing mind and self improvement is because I think we tend to hang out there the most. You know, mostly we're on the side of wanting to be, you know, get better at this or that, or get away from this or that. And so, you know, it's helpful to bring in the other side. Um, that said, um, 
you know, it's like um, self-improvement is what I think about as the developmental model, right? We're developing from this and growing and, you know, whatever word you want to, proving is a little, it's a strong word. You're cultivating, we're maturing, we're, yeah, you know, all these things. We're transforming. And so this is the kind of developmental path. And this is very clearly talked about in the Buddhist teachings. You know, it's a path, a path that we walk on. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. So, you know, the developmental model is part of the picture. And then... I think the interesting thing for me is how do we hold that developmental model with this intimate, I was calling it intimate presence, but whatever, whatever words you want to say of this um, total open, opening and accepting how it is, how things are. And so the way I think about it is the, the path of a child to becoming an adult is, is clearly, you know, there's a developmental process that's happening. Um, five-year-old is very different than a 10-year-old, very different than a 17-year-old, very different than a 40-year-old, right? So, so there's that side. And then the other side is a five-year-old is not just a deficient 17-year-old. You know, this five-year-old is great, but well, yeah, but when you get a, f- a few more years under your belt, then you'll be good enough. You know, no, it's crazy, right? A five-year-old is perfectly a five-year-old. Has the thoughts, the feelings, the, the difficulties, the, um, you know, the insights of a five-year-old. And we would never say um, there's something wrong with this five-year-old for being like a five-year-old. You know, they're going to be as they are, just the way a teenager is perfectly a teenager. And a person who's middle-aged is, is in that time of life. And, you know, an elder is, is perfectly an elder. It's like, so, so I think we need to hold both of these perspectives that there's the developmental side and then there's the side of seeing the perfection in, in this imperfect moment. Um, and so that's, so that's like form and emptiness, right? You know, say there's the side that's form and then there's the side that's emptiness. And they're not actually two different things. It's one thing, right? There's one reality and we can see it from the perspective of form, and we can see it from the perspective of emptiness. So we can see ourselves from the perspective of self. I have a self who I'm trying to get, and I have lots of projects. I'm trying to learn Japanese more, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm studying Tai Chi, and there's quite a, quite a, you know, a lot of learning and improvement that that is possible in that, and. But then to also be willing to be where we are and, and commit to where we are. And that's this intimate practice 
but to return to where we are. And I think when we meditate, this is a very, very valuable perspective to let go of all of our ideas about um, self-improvement. Um, not because there's something wrong with them, but it turns out they're not that helpful in meditation. That in just to, to return to where we are. Um, you know, Gil, Gil likes to say something at the beginning of retreats, like practice is about getting from A to B. And the way to get from A to B is to be fully at A. Well, thank you, Kevin. I, is that, you know? Oh, that, okay. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, it just it kind of uh, brings you back to kind of that beginner's mind, I guess, and growth and stuff. And that, that's really helpful. Thank you, Max. Okay, I think that's, uh, it looks like that's all the questions that people have. So, uh, Max, thank you very much for your time with us today. 